people and we just look forward to this time because we know that you are here in the midst. That makes all the difference. So we ask that you'll open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to all that you want to say and do amongst us here tonight, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So last Tuesday, last Tuesday was? Ah, Anzac Day, great. And, and how many of you appeared at the dawn service? No hands? Oh, oh, yes, a couple of hands, a couple of hands. How many went to one of the services anyway? A few of you? Okay, that's all right. Uh, well, I've got a confession to make. I didn't make the dawn service myself this year out of so many years of being involved in dawn services. I never got to it. Uh, this particular Anzac Day, but I did get to the main service at our Sunnybank branch and I got to march with some friends that were there as well as including some folks from our own church. The girls brigade and boys brigade were always there, were there. I think they were there last year as well. So it's terrific that they can be involved in the Anzac Day services as well. Here's a question. So what, what is the name of the hymn that is traditionally played at Anzac services, both here in Australia and New Zealand? Someone said it. Big voice? Abide in me. me. Thanks, Rochelle. Very good. Abide in me. Um, What an amazing hymn that is. And I don't know if you think about this, but when you read the words of that hymn, I'm going to read a few of them to you in a minute. Um, But Abide in me was the the hymn. And uh, what an incredible witness that we have an opportunity as a Christian community to have a hymn included in a service where thousands of people would attend most of those thousands would never attend a church but they'll always go to an Anzac service and and they get to hear the words of that hymn perhaps even sing it themselves it was sung at our service and sung softly around where Rose and I were but it was still being sung and it was still being thought about I'm sure the 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 words of that hymn I don't know if you know much about it but that hymn was written as a poem and it was set to music by a Scottish Anglican guy called Henry Francis Light in 1847. And he wrote it as he, as he actually lay dying from tuberculosis. And uh, after he'd written that and put it to music, he survived only three weeks after its completion. Uh, what an incredible story. Abide in me. The opening words or the opening lines of that hymn um, alludes to the encounter that the two disciples had with Jesus on the way to Emmaus. Remember that story? They didn't recognize who he was. But on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus appeared and was talking with these guys, we have this record in Luke 24, and it says this. And uh, I want to read it from the New King James Version, which I think, Liam, you did. Did you read it from the New King James? Oh, okay. Okay. The New King James um, also highlights what I want to say tonight. Listen to this. And then they, this is from Luke 24, 28, 29. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone on farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. So the opening words of that hymn, if you know it, I should get Rochelle, you come up and sing that last time you did something like that, it was fantastic. But the opening words of that, of that beautiful hymn go like this. Oh, do you want to sing it? Do you want to, you want to, I'm, I'm not going to lead it. 
because I'm not sure if I'm going to be in tune, but it goes, abide with me, fast falls the evening tide, even tide, the darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comfort flee, help of the helpless, abide with me. And there's those, even tide of course is evening, and so we've got that story there, it's just, it's just fantastic, abide with me. And by the way, just while we're talking about that, we've got to keep rolling on because we've got a few things to get through tonight. Um, But the last two lines of the sixth verse read like this. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. I'm sure that would have been a hymn that Lloyd would have loved as well and how relevant for him. comes from 1 Corinthians 15 and 55. The last three words, if you follow me, the last three words of each of the seven verses, apparently. There are seven verses in this hymn. So the last three words of all of those seven verses end with, abide with me. And what I love, and, and this is the amazing thing uh, with the Lord Jesus, is that one of the demands that Jesus makes on humanity comes from Uh, that verse that that was read to us in John 15 where those words are actually used let me just read that to you again from the New King James Version because it just highlights and brings out what we want to share tonight Jesus said I am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me he is cast out as a branch and is withered And they gathered him up and throw them into the fire and they were burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what what you desire and it shall be done for you. You see, the interesting thing is it's, it's not just a matter of you or me asking the Lord to abide with us. And we do that and, and he's promised to abide with us. I am with you always. He's promised that we know that. But it's not just a matter of us asking the Lord to abide with us. Did you know, though, that, that Jesus himself demands, he demands that you and I abide in him and we in him. That, he, that we abide in him and he in us, I should say. It's a demand. It's not as if we're saying, Lord, would you please abide? It's a demand. He says, you must abide in me. You see, well, let me ask the question. Why does Jesus make that kind of demand on us? Why, why does he say that, that uh, you need to abide in me and I in you? Well, for one, for, for one thing, it's because he deeply loves you. And he knows, he knows that your life would amount to nothing unless he does abide in you. Unless you abide in him, our lives amount to nothing. And we see that in that particular verse. Just like Jesus used that, uses that amazing analogy, and of course the vine, uh, just like a, a, the branch of the vine will amount to nothing, but it will dry up and die unless it remains in, that is, abides in the vine. Only then, only then will it bear fruit. And even then, when it does bear fruit, we know the scripture tells us that it's pruned so that it will be even more fruitful, verse 2. And again, it's pruned again, so it will become much more fruitful, bear much fruit, verse 8. 
So Jesus demands that we abide in him and his words abide in us. Because simply, apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. That is, nothing that will be truly good. Nothing that will be truly honouring to God. Nothing that will be truly acceptable to God. Nothing that will truly last for God. And I guess quite simply, nothing that really counts for God can be done apart from being in Christ and Christ in us. John Piper makes this comment. He says, the main point of the analogy is that power, power to bear fruit, that is power to live a fruitful life of Christ, Christ-like love, flows from Jesus if we stay vitally connected to him. Then we are like a branch connected to the vine so that the all, so that all the life-sustaining, fruit-producing sap can flow into it. Jesus is explicit in claiming to be the power that we need to live fruitful lives. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Jesus means staying vitally connected to the life-giving, power-giving, fruit-producing branch, namely Jesus. Pretty clear, isn't it, really? We need to abide in him. It's a demand. We need to. A practical question to ask is, well, so how do we do that? How do we, how do we actually abide in Christ? Or, or, as Piper says, how do we stay vitally connected to Jesus? How do we do that? Perhaps another helpful analogy, I guess, is to consider the question, since there's been so many weddings that have happened in this church lately, let me put it this way to us. Think about this. How does a husband stay vitally connected to his wife and vice versa? How does that relationship stay connected and flourish? And of course, love has a fair bit to do with that, doesn't it? Loving each other, sharing with it, caring, the giving, time spent with each other, trusting each other, communicating. What else? Anyone got any other suggestions? What are the other components that keeps us vitally connected? I can see Aurora's hand up there. You want to say something, sweetie? Go on. Isn't that fantastic? She said respect each other. Isn't that amazing? Thank we should give her a clap. A little clap. Thank you. What a beautiful family service we have here tonight. And of course, all of the things we've mentioned, unless the foundation is Jesus Christ, then the relationship's going to struggle, I believe. It won't be enriched or have what God intends it to be. It's got to be founded in Jesus, roots deep down into the things of God. And similar in our connectedness with the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15, 9 and 10, again, New King James, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. When we abide in the love of Christ, then the relationships that we have with each other will be enriched. doesn't mean they'll be perfect, but they'll have solid foundations when we have him. 
that we abide in how do we abide in his love and how do we stay vitally connected to Jesus well he tells us in verse 10 of this same passage follow with me if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love so we see these components we see the love for the Lord Jesus we see being obedient to his word we see trusting him with your life trusting him in your life and with your life these things speak of an abiding and a vitally connected to Jesus life when you've got these elements there when you've got these components that are very clearly seen and experienced by with you in you then you know that you're abiding in the things of Christ he's abiding in you you're abiding in him Warren Wearsby, he puts it like this. The evidences of the abiding life are a sense of the Saviour's love. Verse 9 in this passage. Have a look at that. So there's one of them. A sense of the Saviour's love. Do you have that? You're experiencing that tonight in your life. Obedience to his word is a sense that you are abiding in him and he in you. That you're obedient to his word and it's not a burdensome thing you delight to do his will you delight in the obedience doesn't mean we always get it right do it perfectly but delighting in his word is one of those evidences verse so that's verse 10 what about answered prayer praying to the lord expecting answers getting answers maybe not always the ones you want but he answers your prayers verse 7 and then joy joy is an evidence that you're abiding in the vine and he in you as a branch in Christ these things speak of the evidences that you are an abiding person in Christ and maybe perhaps at this point it'd be good to ask yourself one of those I think healthy self-reflective questions like Lord how am I tracking with you how am I how am I going personally in my abiding in Christ and his abiding in me how are we doing there Lord is there any adjustments I need to make and you've probably heard it before when you feel that in your relationship with Christ in this abiding presence of Jesus when you feel that things are a bit distant and he's a bit distant from you ask yourself well guess who's moved hasn't been Jesus there's a hint for you when you feel distant from the Lord guess who's moved and it wasn't Jesus a big part of our abiding in Christ of staying vitally connected to him is also found in one of the other demands that Jesus makes on humanity and certainly amongst uh, certainly upon his own people and again it's found throughout the scripture Old and New Testament some examples include, I only just listed three, so here you go. Watch out and listen for the key word in these verses. I think I've got them on the screen. Psalm 81 verse 8. Hear me, my people, and I will warn you. If you would only listen to me, Israel. New Testament, Luke 9.35. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. John 10:27 My sheep listen to my voice I know them and they follow me. The key words are 
listening. Listen. How well are you listening tonight for the voice of God to speak to you? Because he is speaking. Always will speak through his word. It's just whether or not we want to listen. Listening, abiding in Christ and him abiding in us is also about listening to him. This is what Mary was doing in that beautiful story, that beautiful account that we have in Luke chapter 10. Let me read it to you again. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, listen, opened her home to him. She opened her home to him. Hey, are we opening our homes to Jesus tonight? Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Abiding in Christ is giving our undivided attention to what Jesus says. And then, as we've also learned, it's not just listening to what he says, it's also doing it, being obedient to it, putting it into practice, making it work in your life, trusting him for it and obeying what you hear him say to you. Martha in Luke 10 was, she wasn't wrong for preparing a meal. People have got to do that. People have to eat. Someone has to prepare for it. But Martha was wrong for being so preoccupied with other things and listen, and missing the moment with Jesus. There are times when we can easily miss the moment that the Lord intends us to have with him because we get so distracted and preoccupied with other stuff. One commentator says this, Mary was occupied with Jesus, Martha was preoccupied with herself. I think Martha gets a bit of a bad rap sometimes. Listen, he goes and he says this, what we do with Christ is far more important than what we do for Christ. That's interesting, isn't it? Unless we meet Christ personally and privately each day, we will soon end up like Martha, busy but not blessed. Busy, busy, busy. We're always busy. We live in a society where I think busyness is the disease of the 21st century. We've got to be very careful that we're not missing those moments. We've got to not be preoccupied with stuff other than being occupied with Jesus, meet with him personally, privately, every day. We've got to make that time for him. As we abide in Christ and he in us, just want to mention briefly as we go through this, there's four good reasons, at least four, there's so many others, but there's four good reasons that we can find in God's word for why we must learn to listen to what the Lord Jesus says to us. And these are also covered in Piper's book, by the way. Firstly, why is it important to listen to what Jesus says? Well, firstly, the words that Jesus speaks are the very words of God. The words Jesus speaks are the very words of God. John 12, 49, 50 says this, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. 
I know that his commands lead to eternal life. Did you get that? I know that his commands lead to eternal life. Isn't that why? That's why we need to listen. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. You see, Jesus, not only does Jesus speak the very words of God, he is the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. What magnificent words. John 1.14 His words therefore have authority. Indeed they have all authority. Jesus said that. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. His words have authority, all authority. When he speaks, God speaks. So as you and I learn to read and listen through the scripture, as you sit down and you read your Bible, we need to learn how to listen to the Lord Jesus as he speaks to us personally and privately each day. What an amazing God. He wants to get down with you. He wants to meet you personally, not the mass. Here we are as a big group this, this, this evening, but he's got his eye on you. He wants to meet you personally every day. He wants you to listen. He wants you to abide in him. He wants you to abide in him, he and you. He wants you to experience all the goodness that he has for your life. The words, that, the second thing is the words that Jesus speaks to us are the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. The words of eternal life. Listen to this, John 6, 66 to 68. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't know how he said it, but I reckon I would have said all that. I think he had such a revelation from God. He built that out. You, have, you, have, you are the only one who has the words of eternal life. Why would we want to go anywhere else? Who else is there? This was one of, one of those occasions where Peter really did get it right. Who else is there to follow? To abide in. And to abide with. Who else is there? Hey, how many words have you been listening to today? Say during the week. I wonder how many words you have heard this week. And from whom have you heard them? People are so willing to offer their views and their opinions on just about everything and anything. And they have all the answers. Did you know that? However, as those who abide in Christ, you need to know it's only Jesus who has the words of eternal life. So he's worth listening to, amen? He's worth listening to. Again, John Piper, I've used a bit of his stuff. I've got some good stuff. John Piper says this, the most precious thing about the words of Jesus and the most important reason to listen to him 
is that his words lead to eternal life. Do you have eternal life tonight? Is it yours for the claiming tonight? Is it yours? Or are you kind of wondering? We can say that Lloyd is with the Lord tonight. Absolutely. He had that amazing assurance. I wonder if you have that same assurance. If you haven't, have a chat to one of us here tonight. We'd love you to, before you walked out this, this, this uh, church auditorium, we'd, we'd love you to have the assurance of eternal life. Jesus has given it to us. You just need to know that you've received it. Jesus, when he was being tempted uh, in the wilderness by Satan to turn stones into bread to satisfy immediate hunger, oh, I'm going to get off track a little bit here, but I just want to say, do you know that when Satan tempts you, it's always to satisfy and gratify the immediate need, isn't it? I want it now. Gratify it right now is the temptation that Satan often throws at you. That's what he said to Jesus. Jesus was hungry. He was hungry. Satan knew it. He says, well, you've got the power to turn those stones into bread. Why don't you do it? Satisfy your hunger now immediately. Self-gratification. Jesus declared these magnificent words. And we need to declare the word of God when we get tempted too. Jesus says in Matthew 4.4, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Dear friends, every word that comes from the mouth of God are eternal words. They're words of eternal life. And therefore, as God has said about his son, to those who were gathered on the mountain of transfiguration that time in Luke 35, he said to them with the cloud, when Jesus was there and he was glorified, and that cloud came and the voice spoke out of the cloud. What did the voice say? Well, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Then he said, listen to him. Listen to him. Number three. Why is it important that we listen to Jesus? Why is it important we read the scripture and we listen? You see, the words of Jesus speak silent. Sorry, the words, of Je- the words that Jesus speaks silence and defeats supernatural powers. How reassuring that is for those of us who abide in the Lord Jesus. And just from that, that thought, I'm, I'm reminded of this amazing promise that we have from God's word and we ought to memorize these or know where we get them, where to, where to go looking. 1 John 4, 4. Write it down. 1 John 4, 4 says this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, the one who abides in you, is greater than the one who is abiding in the world, the one who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Great promise of victory and power in the name of Christ over the evil one. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, demonstrated over and over again the reality of this truth. For example, every demon that Christ encountered, he silenced and he defeated it with the authority that he had and spoke as the Son of God. Here's a great example of that. Many examples. This one will do tonight. Mark 1. 23 to 28 says this. Just then a man in their synagogue, 
who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And they obey him. The words that Jesus speaks silences and defeats supernatural powers. And when you and I abide in the Lord Jesus and he in us, and you speak his words, then you'll also speak with his authority, even over demonic spirits who must obey the word of God. Every knee will bow in heaven and earth and on the earth. Every tongue confess they must bow and obey Christ when you speak in his name. James says this, another verse that we should know and underline. Memorize, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Doesn't say he might, and you hope that he will. It says he will flee from you. I think I've shared this story before, but it reminds me of a friend of mine when I was in the ambulance service. We were staying at a particular location. I didn't stay in that night. I went home. But my friend told me about it. He was a Christian guy, uh, a new Christian, um, certainly thinking about the things of God. I think he was a Christian. But he had been dabbling in the occult for most of his life with martial arts, heavily into martial arts. Have I told you this story before? I think I have. He had a strength where he could say, he, he told me, this other guy was probably shorter than me, he could get under the house and he would rattle the house. That's the strength that he had. It was a supernatural strength that this guy had. He'd come to know Christ and uh, one night, and I hope this doesn't frighten too many little ones, one night he was physically attacked, I'll just say that quickly, by these powers. And, uh, and he yelled out and a couple of guys came to the room. They were Christian guys and they described what the room was like. I won't need to go into that. But... He, t he just said to me, he said, I didn't know what to do. The only thing I knew what to do was to pray the Lord's Prayer, he said. And so as he began to pray the Lord's Prayer, the attack stopped and he experienced peace. Frightened him, frightened him, but it stopped and he experienced a real peace. And, and to the best of my knowledge, I've lost contact with him, but to the best of my knowledge, he's still powering on for the Lord Jesus. Last time I spoke to him. Don't dabble with the cult, guys and girls. Keep away from that stuff. It's real. It's frightening. But Jesus defeats all that. Fourthly and finally, the words that Jesus speaks are heard and received by his sheep. By his sheep. John 10, 27. My sheep, listen to my voice I know them and they follow me Piper says therefore we can know we can know that we are his sheep if we listen to his voice we know we are his sheep if there is a truth shaped place for his word in our hearts and we welcome 
what he says. That's so true. We welcome what Jesus says. We're so thirsty and hungry, people. We need his word. It's so true. Isn't it so true? Are you able to identify with that tonight? That we do welcome what Jesus says. Now, there's something about the word of God that when we listen, it does warm our hearts. There's something in us. The spirit, obviously, there's a theological reason for it, obviously. But just listen to the simple truth of it. And you know what I'm talking about, many of you anyway. It does warm your heart. When you know, you know that it's God speaking to you, it does something to your heart. But listen to this also. We also know that when we are out of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if we're grieving him and we're out of fellowship and we hear his word, his word sometimes, and it will, uh, for our own good, sting like salt in a wound. And that's how he gets to you. That's how he wakes you up. His word will sting you. Just like salt does when you rub it into a wound. It's because he loves you. Cares about you. Doesn't want you going off track. But I remember the two guys again on the road to Emmaus and what they said to each other in reference to what I've just said. After they realised that it was Jesus whom they had been listening to. Listen to what they say about that. Luke 24, 32, they asked each other, I love this, I love the way they describe it, were our hearts not burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us, he said, weren't our hearts just burning? There's something about the word of God that was so precious to hear. It warmed our heart. It was a witness to us. Powerful. That was the two guys. And of course, we got Mary and Martha who also welcomed the presence of the Lord Jesus in their home and the words that he spoke. And look, listen, we need to realise that even when we do welcome the Lord Jesus in our homes, there may be times when as we listen to his words, he will rebuke us. He will correct us. He will put us right. You might not like it, but we need to welcome his words. You welcome Jesus into your home then welcome the words he speaks to you, whether you like those words or not. Because he always speaks out of a heart of love and compassion for you. He wants the best for you. And if you haven't got the best, then he will correct you. He will rebuke you. He will bring you back on track. But listen to him. Welcome him into your home. Welcome him into your heart. Then listen to what his words are for you. But these words again, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where, the, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Folks, is that where you are tonight? Can I ask you that? Is it sort of a prayer of yours tonight where you'd be saying in your heart words similar to this, Lord, abide with me. Abide with me, Lord, for I want to abide in you and, and you in me. I want to listen and I want to welcome your words into my entire life so that I will be shaped by you to be even more and more a committed, passionate follower of Jesus. Is, is that a prayer of yours tonight? And listen, let's get real. It may not it may not always work for you. I mean, you may not be there yet. It may be a lot of stumbling and falling. But 
the question I want to ask you tonight, and I'd like you to make some kind of an indication. If that's your desire, so you may not be there, and I don't know whether too many people are, but if your desire is that you want to abide with Jesus, abide in him and he in you, that you want to follow him, that you're prepared to welcome him in and listen to his words. If that's your desire, can I ask you to stand right now where you are? Just stand up. Don't do it if you're not quite there yet, but if that's your desire, just like you to stand. And then I'd like to pray for you, perhaps as the worship team come up as well. Let's just bow quietly for a minute. Maybe there's something you just want to say to God yourself personally tonight. Just a few moments of quietness. Just do business with Jesus, please, on your own, just for a minute before I pray. Father, we thank you for your words to us tonight. We thank you for that beautiful invitation, indeed a demand that we are to abide in you and you in us. We thank you that you've called us to listen. And when we listen, we really are abiding in you too. And it's an indication that we are. I want to thank you for these dear folk tonight. And you see every heart. That's really all that matters. You see every heart here tonight. And Father, I thank you for the pleasure that you have in seeing sons and daughters here tonight who are saying, Lord, I'm not there yet. Lord, I'm a work in progress. But Lord, we believe that he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So please, Lord, will you just bathe our people, all of us, with your great love, with your power, with your abiding power. Please give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Not just to the church, Lord, but to us personally, individually. As we go out into the rest of this evening, as we go out into the rest of this week, thank you, Lord, that we can have that absolute assurance. Even like the hymn, Lord, abide with me. We know it's true. You will, because you've promised. Just help us to keep abiding in you listening, growing, maturing, developing, welcoming you, listening to your words. Lord, thank you for your abiding presence as we commend ourselves into your hands for the work that you've yet to do. But we know it's going to be for our good and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Bless you, folks. Hey, remain standing. Let's sing this final song.